Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast with myself, Ross Casey, back in the booth for what feels like the 101st time. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to be joined by both Conman and Brum later. Brum is currently in his ongoing Wrestling Should Be Fun feud with Bedtime, (laughs) whilst Matt is seemingly going to have a new microphone and is currently in the process of sorting that out. But in the booth already, we do have ourselves fresh off his appearance last time out. It's Josh. How you doing, Josh? You well? I'm all good, mate. Um, I've been loving life today because I've been listening to the Pretty Deadly theme tune, which has just been uploaded to Apple Music. So I've been really enjoying that because it is great to listen to wrestling theme songs because they're really fun to listen to for anyone who listened last week. <laughs> well, that seems to have broken the rules from last week. i remember when pretty deadly used to come out to the 1975 to go kind of against my own argument from last week the pretty deadly theme tune that's been uploaded to apple music is like a minute 40 something long so it's not even like half of a proper song (laughs) wrestling songs just loop anyway we went through this last week yeah we did (laughs) we did but they're still good so what can you do (laughs) nothing wrong with a one minute 40 banger i listen to hardcore music and it's all that sort of stuff, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's crack on with the call-up sheet. Okay, so first up, we've got Matthew, who goes by the name Triple OG Sleepy. So I'm instantly thinking that like he can be the mixed tag team partner of Wendy Chu in NXT. Nice, yeah, yeah, perfect. And he, he just does that gimmick, but on the male roster. <laughs> also, Triple OG needs to be in like a rival of Triple H, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's like a an ongoing feud. Uh, you can get X Pack in there. And they can feud for the AAA title, maybe. Perfect. <laughs> Next up, we've got ourselves. Robert Costman goes by the tag Bobby's World 74. Proud member of the Late Night Crew. Sorry if I have not offended any haters or trolls today. Just take a number and I will get back to you. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> maybe he could be like, Chris Jericho was going to save everyone. Maybe like this guy can save us all from internet trolls. Perfect, yeah. And he's just like really obnoxious with it. Or if he's genuine, he can be a baby face. And if he's a heel, he can just be like really over the top with it. Yeah, nice, nice. Who would be part of the late night crew? Um, It's got to be some like party type. Yeah, the Godfather. Godfather, ELP. Yeah. Adam Rose. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you include all the Rosebuds, it's like half the wrestling world who were a Rosebud at some point. Yeah, nice, nice. Anyone who's on... Rampage. That's one at yeah. 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Next up, we have ourselves 
Sean Stakelum. Sean underscore Stakelum 98. And he gives us very little on his bio. So we're just going to go off the name Sean Stakelum. So I'm thinking back to, do you know the old Pro Evolution soccer days when instead of Ronaldo, it'd be like Rinaldo? Yeah. Maybe he is actually Sean Stasiak, but he's just like had a copywritten name. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. Because if he's not given us much to work off, then that's where my mind goes to first. I'm going to quickly try and find some classic Provo names. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I used to use France on Pro Evolution Soccer too because they were one of the few teams who had proper names. Yeah, like it. So Aston Villa were just known as Dublin. <laughs> seemingly after Dion. Nice. West Ham were known as Lake District. Not really sure about that one, but all right. <laughs> Manchester were Aragon. May United were Aragon. Oh, okay. Aragon is a region in Spain, as well as the name of the 19th century warship. Right. Why not? These are making NXT 2.0 names sound like normal. <laughs> oh, and then there's just the beautifully named West Yorkshire Town, which was Huddersfield. Excellent. Straight to the point. <laughs> like when Vince McMahon decided to make Bronson Reed's nickname Big. <laughs> yes, yeah. Sean Stakelum, though. Good name. Good name. <laughs> Babyface or heel, reckon Sean Stakelum? Um, I just remember, was Sean Stasiak the one who ran in the ring and kept getting thrown over the top rope by The Rock? Um, Did that happen? That I know Sean Stasiak is meat. <laughs> <laughs> and the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Next up, we've got ourselves Beers and Brisket, someone that we uh, mentioned in a previous podcast. Thanks so much for your love, as always. Next up, we've got ourselves Blake Anderson. Blake Anderson, UGA Blake. I love God, my family, the Georgia Bulldogs, and pop culture. I mean, I think one of the more underrated gimmicks of the past couple of decades was Reverend Devon. And if he loves God, I'd love a chance to revive a Reverend Devon gimmick. Because like, that gimmick didn't get talked about enough. Yeah, correct. I feel I like th- it was a gimmick that on anybody else other than Devon Dudley, who's so known for the Dudley boys, I think it would have worked. And I think if they bought it in the, like, the modern day, I actually think it'd be a bit more effective. Yeah, for sure, for sure. He also needs to obviously just be in a tag team called the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, that's, that's a slam dunk, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> And we've also got ourselves Terry T-Bone Williams. It goes by the name of Young Black Man from Louisiana. That's a great wrestling name, isn't it? Terry T-Bone Williams. Well, we've got his finishers sorted already. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The human suplex machine, Terry T-Bone Williams. See, that is a wrestler. If you told me that was a wrestler, I'd believe you. (laughs) And let's see who else we've got here. Just got two more. UWW League, Unified World Wrestling League, which is an EFED. Um, I'm not really into the EFED realm, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really too familiar with it. Like, I'm aware of the concept. Don't you do a 2K version of it, basically? Yeah, that's kind of like... I've got all mine done for me, though. Like, I've got all the wrestlers and that sort. Having to input that must... Like, it's hard enough having to do it on a PlayStation, but I rate the people who do it, like, in-depth as that. Unified World Wrestling League. 
I feel like this is a little bit CM Punk and he's the real world champion. Yeah. He's unified. Yeah. Or und- he could maybe like Undisputed will change the unified, the U to Undisputed. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Because Roman Reigns claims to be an Undisputed champion despite there being a world heavyweight champion on literally the other show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it makes no sense. I did notice this week that Heyman stopped wearing the two other belts. Oh, has he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He didn't have them this past week, did he? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a bit confusing, like, with the whole lineage thing, what's happening with the Universal title, what's happening with the WWE title. Yeah, yeah I'll figure that out later, I'm sure. Definitely is confusing. Next up, we've got Angela Love. Thanks very much for your request, but you have been given your character previously, but thanks very much for listening. And last but not least, we've got ourselves... Philip Savoy, S-A-V-O-I-E. And he says, Nola, Air Force veteran, machinist, Pinoy pride. This is basically a wrestling fan account now from New Orleans. Right. Well, I mean, New Orleans is where they have like the Mardi Gras stuff, don't they? Yeah. So, like, let's just have that be his gimmick. It just comes out as a different like character each time. Nice. So we're basically going to drop the Air Force stuff, get rid of that. Yeah. And give him the full kind of Adam Rose gimmick, party gimmick. <laughs> maybe as it's New Orleans, maybe he can play the trombone or something whilst he's <laughs> doing his entrance. <laughs> yeah. And if we want to turn him heel, we can just bring back the Air Force stuff. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Just do a change. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to run it by um, Sergeant Slaughter first, though, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't want to piss him off. <laughs> okay, that is the call-up sheet this week. Thanks for everyone for asking for their new gimmick we hope that you've enjoyed them and we'll let you know that you've been featured on the podcast as soon as the pod is released this week let's move on to what the nerds are watching i've been watching you so we're almost at the end of the g1 climax 2023 And we've got ourselves two people that have been following this tournament very, very closely. And I think we're going to have some pretty hot takes on the tournament so far. And that's between Conman. Hello. How's your week been though, Matt? Yeah, uh, not too bad. And also Brum. How you doing, Brum? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I think the hottest take so far is he saying that the G1's nearly over when we've just passed the halfway mark. Okay. <laughs> Guess which person in the booth hasn't been watching. <laughs> so, without any further ado, let's talk to people who do know what's going on in Japan. And Conman, you're someone that's been following this on the daily. Can we get a bit of a summary on where you think the G1 climax is for you this year? Well, yeah, I, I think obviously we're doing this on the fly, but I think an idea might be to go through the groups and me and Brum just give our overall opinions on matches or people. But as a whole tournament, and again, Brum might differ for me, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like New Japan, I'm not going to go as far as they're back full stop. Like this is like the golden era of a few years ago. But I feel like I've got really invested in the stories and maybe the commentary is just helping me along the way. But this is feeling like a good G1 so far. And obviously it depends how they pay it off and how the stories unfold. But I'm really invested in it this year. Great to hear. Great to hear. And Brum, is that something that you are also on the same side of? Yeah, and I think Matt got it spot on. But but what's interesting is that's that's actually counterintuitive of what we think of the G1. Not that it's not been a 
it's it's probably been one of the key storytelling vehicles of of New Japan for a very long time now. But what we've been accustomed to in peak New Japan is a lot of Ishii having about seven five star matches and it just being banger after banger after banger. I don't know if actually the in ring work rate style wrestling has improved but i think matt's got it spot on it's really interesting really fascinating this year and a new japan that the dare we say it the resurgence of new japan seems now to be built on a lot of interesting interconnected storyline stuff between a lot of fresh guys rather than just these six star and the tokyo dome matches which obviously you know i'm a i'm a bit of a a work rate nerd, but but even by my standards, I've been like Matt. I've been I've been really really enjoying it. Great to hear. Great to hear. So, without any further ado, let's do exactly as Conman suggested. Let's go through block by block, and let's start with block D. As I've been hearing, that block A is the most exciting block from a Conman's perspective. Hopefully, from yours as well, Brum. So, block D. It's currently led by Jeff Cobb with Toru Yano at the bottom with two points. What has been your highlights from Block D, Brum? I mean, well, well, Block D's got Zack Sabre Jr., isn't it? So you can't ever knock Block D, maybe my favourite wrestler. I thought now, I thought it's actually, isn't Cobb on eight still? Yep, yep. And But Zacky's on eight now, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a multi-way tight at the top. Yeah, so it's... My criticism of Block D is we know one person who's got to qualify in that Naito who's realistically going to win the tournament. I think that's probably the coldest take you'll you'll hear tonight in D. But it's the Tanahashi story. I'm not quite sure what they're telling there. Matt might have a bit more of a, a hot take for me for me there. I thought Tana was sort of going to get blasted this G1 going into it, and that's. Not quite happened, and I thought it'd be Naito walking it, and potentially Zach maybe coming up second. But I think that's why the, that block sort of threw me a little bit. That Tanner sort of creeping around. I think in terms of matches of that block, I think it's surprise, surprise. The best one's probably been Jeff Cobb and uh, Zach. Um, I really enjoyed that, but I'm obviously massively biased. I don't know what Matt thinks. And I think actually was the, the kickoff match of the block. I thought Tanner and Zach was pretty solid as well. But I think, yeah, Cobb and, Cobb and Zachy was, has been my peak of that block. So, Conman, something to jump on there is your views on the Tanahashi run for this block. Someone that after Forbidden Door, there was chat that perhaps he would really struggle in this tournament. But at six points, it seems like he's far from struggling. Yeah, I'm interested uh, the, the Brum taking it. Because I know that Brum has got the perfect booking for Tanahashi. And I'll let him explain it one day that his Tanahashi G1 booking is impeccable. But um, the story of Tanahashi this year has basically been told to me by Kevin Kelly, and I've I've lapped it up, is that how many high-five flows has Tanahashi got left? And then he wins a match against Goto by having to use three. And it's like, Mm. bloody hell, Tanah, what are you doing? He's basically wrecking his own body to compete with the guys now. Like, he's not at the level where he can... Uh, do what, say, Naito's doing and wear a T-shirt for half the match and, and goes through and still probably qualify. Tanahashi's at a point where he has to go hell for leather in every match against every opponent just to compete, not even to qualify, just to compete. And I find that story really compelling. It's like the last gunsman in town or saying, like, he's really struggling to stick with this thing that he's always been really good at. And I know he's not qualified every year and been right at the top, but he's always been in the mix. And this year, he's having to go that extra yard and break his own body, which we've all seen, obviously, in even when he's come over to the American wrestling. 
And I find the story really interesting. It's probably my favourite thread of any individual wrestler in that group. Um, yeah. In terms of the best matches, I think Tanahashi's act was my favourite. But yeah, Cobb's act was great as well. I agree with Bram. Yeah, I think I think that just probably just to stay on D a second, I totally agree with you with that that Tana bit. I think that's really interesting. Do you think then that based on that storyline, you think that it's him and Naito that go through them? No, no. I mean, looking at the group, I think it all comes crashing down. I think Naito beats him, and I think his other match, Tanahashi's other match is oh, who else has Tanahashi got? I'm not sure who his other opponent is. It might be Cobb. Tanahashi right? is facing Cobb. Naito. And Sabre. He's got Coughlin. Oh, sorry. I'm looking at, oh, at the yeah. wrong thing completely. It's Alex Coughlin and Naito. Yeah, so I think Naito beats him to get through. And I think that's kind of the broken dream moment. Because Naito, like you say, bro, Naito's definitely going through. Like, unless they're doing sunning bananas. Uh, I think <laughs> Naito's definitely going through. So I think Tanahashi, like, that's maybe is the first step to realising he's not the guy he was. And I know they've done that story in smaller segments for, But this feels like a really big moment judging on what the American commentary is saying. So maybe the American commentary are selling a different story to the main promotion, but they're selling a story that I'm well invested in. And before we head over to Block C and discuss that group, I have to ask you, Conman, as someone who loves the fact that Yano still is involved in the G1, what's been the highlight of Toru in this G1 for you? Oh, uh, and again, you've got to throw it to Bram to his takes because he's, he's more of a star man than me, but every Yano match has entertained me. Oh, they've all been brilliant. The Zach one was brilliant. The Zach, um, the Zach one was so, so yeah. stupid, but yeah. so good. Uh, and Yano, I will argue with anyone, and even 90s admitted to me that I won him over. Yano has his place in the G1. Who else could enter the tournament, lose to everyone, and beat an undefeated Cobb? No one but Yano. <laughs> he's not going to get that yeah. shot or whatever, Cobb. He's perfect, and I love him still. Here's a trivia one, Matt. Who was the lion that Yano picked out? Oh, I have no idea. Go on. In the Sabre match. Because I didn't recognise him. Oh, no, no, I didn't. I No, no, neither did I, no. Yeah. We'll have to throw that to the listener. Yeah, people are going to be screaming at us right now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as listeners are screaming, let's move to Block C. Bram, what's been your highlight of Block C, which is currently headlined by David Finlay with Tomohiro Ishii at the bottom? Yeah, I think Finlay's got to do something there. Before the tournament, Matt and I, funnily enough, were chatting about who we thought were going through. I had Evil as the Gado curveball for this one to go through and get beat in the quarterfinals. He's obviously on eight at the moment, so I think think that might happen i don't think shingo will happen yeah i don't think ishii will, will happen either so my gut is i think finley's got to go through and my gut is evil go with him and eddie will just miss out is probably where i'm going there c is the block being honest even though and i'm sure we'll talk about it as we get through i'm quite hot on the new version of the bullet club i think it's really a really exciting faction i think oddly david finley's probably the, the guy i'm counterintuitively least interested in there but yeah i think even though it's got ishii and it, it's got kingston in it which funnily enough was up there for probably match of the g1 kingston ishii comfortably the best thing that's happened in block c but yeah it's not one even though it's got a bunch of talent in there obviously shingo being in there as well it's not one that's probably as tickled me as others though shingo had a banger with was it hanare matt 
Yeah, early in the tournament. He lost, he lost yeah. didn't he? Yeah, Hanari. Yeah, yeah. The win back from their, um, was it like a 5.75 match they had? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. So, so they give Hanare the win back from that, right? I'm guessing. Yeah. So, um, so that was a banger. But yeah, d- despite that, and despite people like Eddie having and who's having a great G one, and having you know people like Ishii and Shingo, who we forget about Shingo, but two years ago there was an argument he was the best wrestler in the world. It's not tickled me as much, despite Evil being in there. It's not been. It's been a little bit, but not too much Togo Evil bollocks. But it's still not tickled my fancy massively. But I think my my hot take of Block C is was before the tournament, and now I think it might happen. Is Evil sneaks through? Do you think that Eddie has done plenty enough to potentially get a bit of a run in the promotion in the future? Oh, he's got a T-shirt, hasn't he? They've given yeah. him a T-shirt. It's quite sexy. It's got a bit of a. Masawa green and Kawada yellow, which is which is quite cool. But yeah, I, th- I think definitely, I think he fits in well. That he's also super over. So I, I go one step further. That I think he'll be at Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, nice, good prediction. Early twenty twenty four prediction. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Conman? What's your views on Block C? Yeah, I think it's the one that struggled the most for um, bangers. But I think that's by design because you've got Finley and Evil in it. And they are obviously classic breakup artists at this tournament. Um, I think I was mentioning to you guys, Ishii as like New Japan dad now is, is quite sad, but also probably the spot he should be in. Um, but but obviously the Kingston match, I would go with Brum. It's definitely top two matches of the G1 overall. Eddie Kingston hasn't necessarily had banger after banger, but that match alone was like the spirit of Japanese wrestling coming out of yeah. him. He just embodied all of his favourite wrestlers. Um, and even as someone who's not as well-versed as Brahma, I could feel it. in in And like the crowd, like you say, that might be the biggest crowd reaction to a match was the Ishii-Kingston one. Absolutely brilliant. After Yano Sabre, it was the biggest reaction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, I actually disagree on Evil, and it's only because of the fixtures that are left. So I think Shingo's last two matches are... Finley and Evil. And of course, that could all go wrong when he loses to one of them. I think Shingo's going to nick it and nick in ahead of one of them. I think Evil. So I think Evil's a great shout, by the way. I didn't think he'd have a stronger tournament as you predicted. But I still think that Shingo, they do this every year in the G1. Someone that you're not looking at just suddenly gazumps everyone and sneaks in. I think it might be Shingo over Evil. If it is Shingo, and I'm not, I'm not writing it off because Evil itself was a bit of a curveball. They can't do over Finley, can they? At this stage, yeah, th- my bet would be Evil more. So Evil's two matches left are Mikey Nichols and Shingo. Now Mikey Nichols is on two points. They don't often leave someone on two points, even though Mikey Nichols is a bottom feeder. So I think Mikey Nichols might somehow win that. And then it leaves Evil precarious for the Takagi match and then Shingo nicks over him. That's the only other talking point of probably this block is the, the infamous Mikey Nichols match. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> which, Jesus Christ. For people who have a morbid curiosity in these things, it's probably worth checking out as those guys shouldn't have continued in that match. And there was a lot of potential concussion and head dropping stuff going on. Okay, well... People with a morbid curiosity are stopping the podcast and going to watch that match. But make sure that you come back and listen to the rest after you do. Block B is where the big boys are. We've got ourselves Rev Pro Legends, Will Ospreay at the top, 
and Greta Khan at the bottom. Coman, what is your overall summary of Block B so far? Block B feels like the most Route 1 group. I think in some of the other groups, people could argue over, like we just kind of did with Evil and Shingo, like, oh, I think him, I think him. In Group D, I think Tanner, I think Nio, I think Cobb, I think Sabre. I think Group B is the most Route 1. It's going to be Osprey and Okada. We just don't know maybe what order. Although Osprey beating Okada maybe dictates that Osprey will win the group now. Tai Chi's been a solid number three, and he obviously got his win over Osprey earlier in the tournament. And Tai Chi v Okada, it, it might be one for the people that love New Japan too much or whatever, but I thought that match was exceptional uh, and one of my favourites. But I am more biased to Tai Chi, so I'll accept that. I also thought Kenta v Osprey was really good and saw a little lick of the old Kenta coming back where he was just way more vicious. And to go on your other point, I'm really sad Crater Guard's bottom. I thought he was going to have a really good tournament. He might come back and win his last couple and shoot up the table. But um, there's not loads to go on here. I think the Okada Osprey story going through is, is the main thing. How about you, Bram? For a block that had Tangaloa versus Great Okan, I actually feel bad shitting on C. But as Matt said, it, oh, well, it also, I think the only two things to come out of this, it had two of the best matches in the tournament. Osprey Okada, the recent one. Not the dizzying heights of an Osprey Okada match that you'd imagine, but those two just being in the ring together, it's good wrestling. But but no, I agree with Matt. I think Okada Taichi was was the best match of the group and probably only picked for me by the King Sanishi match. So yeah, yeah, very good there. And the rest is just, as Matt said, it's just route one. There's not really a lot to talk about. You know, Phantasmo and Yoshihashi are not are not qualifying, are they? And that is a shame for Conman in particular as someone who loves Taichi. Yeah, I do love the boy. So let's head to block A where we've got our first person through to the quarterfinals in Sonada with 10 points. No one's got more points in the tournament than Sonada. It goes all the way down to Ren Narita with two points. What's your summary of block A? I think... Brum, you've got something to say about your favourite new wrestler from Noah. Yeah, I, well, I mean, this has been building for, God, has it been about a year, the stuff that was going on with him and him and Okada? Maybe a little bit more. But um, Kaito Kiyomiya has been, for me, the standout wrestler of the tournament so far. Just fantastic every time I've seen him. Yeah, his, his matches, well, his match with Sonada probably being the best, but the recent wild match and post-brawl he had with Gabriel Kidd, who I'm sure both Matt and I will, will get on onto in a bit, was uh, was super exciting as well. But it just seems like there's just so much going on in this block. The new Three Musketeers with their kind of draw fest, but, but how they're all kind of interacting in the group's really exciting. We didn't talk a lot about Alex Coughlin in the other group, but him and Gabe Kidd, but Gabe Kidd specifically, I think have got so much of an upside in New Japan. And yeah, these two of the red hot members of the of this exciting new bullet club. I think that's going on. Sonada, who I know has is a really split wrestler in terms of the wrestling should be fun group. Um Matt Heinem and a lot a lot of others quite anti him. I didn't think he was a great choice champ, but I think I think he's had a had a fun and interesting G1. And then, like I said, the standout being Kiyomiya. So basically the only person I've not given a shout out to, Kel Supri, is Chase Owens. But um, but yeah, I think it's um, Owen Hikaleo, should I say. But um, the yeah, it's the most exciting block in terms of storylines. It sums up what Matt and, and I was saying before when we kind of give the pricey on it that this is a 
the G1, which has had a real great storyline edge, and Block A is the height of it. And I think the only thing about it I'd say is that it's probably have to be the most obvious in who's going to go through. Senad obviously is, and I actually think Kiyomi is going to beat Akada in the semi and then get beaten by Naito in the final. Nice. That was my pre-tournament prediction as well, and I think it's going to come to life. Nice uh, sharing your working out, and I have to say it sounds like a very good piece of booking, and if Gado has, you know, any eyes to pass the buck, Brum is there. Block A, Conman, you've got some things to say about Sonada. Yeah, man. Brum at least gave him some props, and I appreciate that. I think Sonada's been presented in this tournament like the guy, and maybe I'm mm. just very susceptible to the way Gado's booking it, but I've completely bought it. I see him as the guy now. Obviously, if he ever faces a Carter and I watch the match, because I didn't watch when Sonada won the title, I might start reconsidering, but the way that this tournament's been booked and the way he's been positioned... Again, in a group of people that are lower down the totem pole, they're all like hungry young guys or or in the case of Chase Owens, just an old old yellow fella. Sonada's just the guy and like I'm loving the idea of him just like finally getting it and putting it all together. And it's not like, I think like one of the problems with Sonada was he was too cool and people would pick holes and his matches fell into this routine of where he'd hit that dragon sleeper for so long and go for the moonsault. And people knew what was happening and it wasn't that exciting if you didn't like him. But like now, like I feel like his matches are ending in a variety of different ways. I know that before he had the matches with Zach Greenfield with roll-ups, but they were a specific type of match. I just feel like this Sonata now, like it's so exciting. Like I feel like it's a new wrestler in the company. Like he looks obviously completely different with the, the beard gone and the different colour of hair. And I'm loving the Sonata run. Now that he's already through, does he play the kids against Owens and Kid? <laughs> he cannot get beat by Chase Owens No, I, I'm already fuming that Chase Owens won twice Also, a little stat at this point in the tournament uh, Ren Narita is the only person that hasn't won a match Bless him uh, is he, Has he got two draws? Is that his two points? Two draws, two draws, yeah, just yeah. a couple of draws Bless him Well, he has got Owens oh, that, that has to be two points It can't not be That's your banker Nothing's a banker with ghetto, but it should be. <laughs> I, I genuinely think this group's fucking great. Like Brum said about, like it's just. I think because they're all up and comers, it's like anyone can beat anyone, and it doesn't really matter. And obviously, there's been three or four, maybe five draws. Like because these guys can afford to draw with each other because they're all on a similar level. I just think this has been the group that's dragged the G one up. There's obviously been bangers in the other groups. We've talked about the best two matches come from other groups. But this has been the group where everyone's looked at it, I think, and gone, the interest is here. This is the future. And these matches are what we want to tune in for in two years' time, in three years' time. All these matches between the three Musketeers, whatever they're being called, they're going to be called back on for the next 10 years. And like that's why I love this group. Nice. Very well put. Two more questions for you, Conman, on the G1. Question number one. JCH predicted that Gabe Kidd would be the Rev Pro champion by the year's end thoughts on that i mean i would have maybe laughed at him before but if he's gonna come back over i don't see why not i know brum said uh he and me has been his favorite and i think that's a fair shout but gabe kids maybe been my favorite so i think kid could easily come over and, and win that and just throw um oku around york hall before he wins in 10 minutes but the match is actually 30 minutes but 20 minutes happens <laughs> in the crowd yeah I, I don't think it's impossible he, he's nice. like um 
Bruiser Brody, isn't he? He's just bonkers. He's just great. Absolutely fantastic. And yeah, question it. number two. We've heard the workings out and the final and the predicted winner from Brum. Let's say the same from you. I haven't... I'm useless at this stuff because I haven't worked out who gets who in quarters and semis. I have looked and just forgotten. But I think Naito winning is is very fair. I think Kiyomir in the final is, is bold, but I have no information to say that wouldn't wouldn't happen at this point. He feels like someone that New Japan are are interested in using in terms of the way that the commentary, again, the English-American commentary are, are saying. So, yeah, I, I do think Naito wins it, though. And I think does, the, the, just, the little splinter stories are the things I'm I'm really loving about this. But but does it just feel with all the interest that they've done, and we've talked all about Block A, that, God, a Naito Wakada final. Is, and I know that's how New Japan books a lot of the time. Historically, let's forget about their kind of giddiness with doing random pushes over the like the kind of the pandemic post-pandemic era. But Naito Wakada as a G1 final seems... And I know Japanese fans will probably think about it a lot differently, but seems so fucking dry and boring to me that I really hope they don't do that. I won't disagree with that as a principle, but Akada won it last year. Did Akada win it last year? Yeah, he beat Osprey in the final, by the way. Yeah, yeah right. of course he did. Yeah, of course he did. So, like, it wouldn't be that on New Japan to be like, Akada won it last year, he's unbeatable, and then Naito does it that way. I don't think Naito will win the title, but I think he might win the G1. But Osprey is probably the only other name I can think of winning it, really. I think Osprey should be next year. I think it should yeah. be Osprey yeah, next I said, year. I said that last year. And now <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to be constantly putting it on a delay. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. Nice. So in closing, Brum, you famously in 2022, in your predictions, basically predicted the fall of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Do you feel that, that this G1 climax has done plenty to see it rise? Yeah, they're going the right way. It's not just this G1. I think the um, they've sort of been sowing the seeds for it. Was it Dontaku, the last show, or Dominion? Whichever it was. Like They've started to sow it, and it feels like new blood coming through. Yeah, I think they're getting there. I think from now to... This is obviously a very cold take, but from now to Wrestle Kingdom, it's going to be the... Yeah, see if there's the proofs in the pudding. I think if they land this run from now and land a solid Wrestle Kingdom, I think we can be very, very positive for, for all the reasons that Matt said. And, and it's going to be a different New Japan to what people are used to. It's not necessarily going to be hardcore work rate, pseudo 90s old Japan. It's going to be a little bit more, I hesitate to use the word sports entertainment, but definitely something a bit, bit more storyline-y. But yeah, I think it's reinvented itself and it's showing positives. Great to hear, great to hear. And... In summary from you, Conman, enjoying the G1, watching every single match so far? Yeah, I am one of them sort of people. I, I try and do it every year. There's been a few years where it's defeated me, but I do try and watch every match. And I, I agree with Brum. I think now, if the G1 pays itself off, whoever wins and whatever stories they tell, if we all come out of it going, there's more good than bad here, which I think at the moment, it'd be very hard for them to fuck it up. If they come out of it with more good than bad, it's going to be very hard for them to maybe keep that same high level going through a tag league. So they're going to have to try and come up with something again to keep that interesting and to have a couple of matches that aren't just Naito versus the person that pinned him in the group. So Shane Haste is one of them, by the way. So we might have to get a Naito-Shane Haste match again, (laughs) which was really good, but like I don't think it's selling tickets. 
So, like, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep the next four months interesting. I completely agree with Brom on that. That's going to be harder, maybe, than booking a good G1. I'm pretty excited about the potential of some of those Rev Pro boys getting in that World Tag League. Yeah. We're talking Sunshine Machine. We're talking Greedy Souls. We're talking Subculture. Do you reckon um, if Oku, obviously, gets used over on um, the uh, the big Wembley show, do you think they would they could bring Oku in for the Tag League with someone? Or do you think he's uh, too much of a junior in terms of the way Japan book? Hmm. They've started to blur those lines of the past few years, but I still think it's probably a step too far for something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just more thinking ambitiously. Like He's on the Jericho cruise and he's like hopefully going to be at Wembley. Like Just wondering if he... Uh, they find him a partner and just stick him in chaos for a bit for a laugh. <laughs> him and Yano, book it, ghetto. <laughs> well, if um, JCH is booking it, he's he's putting Gabe Kidd and <laughs> Oku as a pair, and then the turn happens, and then Gabe wins the title on the thirty first. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the G one climax roundup so far. And if you want to go back and watch the shows, they're all on New Japan World. So without any further ado, let's go into the round table. So the round table this week, we have ourselves a review of NXT's Great American Bash, which took place on Sunday. And we've had ourselves a very fun seven-match card, including the pre-show. Have people been able to watch the show? Conman, I think you've watched up until the Perez match, is that correct? Yeah, I've watched up to... Um, so I'm about to start the triple threat. So I've watched Corbin Steve. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. So if the rest of the panel could not give me spoilers beyond that point, I'll talk about them three matches and then fuck off. <laughs> Sounds like a plan, mate. How about you, Bram? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Been a proper good little WSBF kid and watched the whole shebang. <laughs> good boy. Gold star for Brum. <laughs> and I believe, Josh, you've managed to watch it all, including the pre-show match, right? Yeah, loved it, mate. Like we say about NXT, every podcast, really, it's just, just a good laugh, ain't it? There's a bit of everything, bit of good wrestling. The crowd love it. There's a bit of fun every now and then. Yeah, I, I loved it, mate. And I think I was thinking about this earlier because I'm like, I'm an NXT black and gold guy, like, till I die. And I was thinking, like, that was just, like, it wasn't really a developmental brand. It was like a WWE indie brand. It was like a, it wasn't what NXT was meant to be. And I feel like they've got a really good, like, mix in NXT at the minute of, like, pure developmental people. And then you really are dragging ovs and you Blair Davenport who have done the rounds, kind of interspersing between, the you know, the other guys who are brand new. So, yeah, I feel like NXT is in a really good space at the minute. And I feel like this show was, um, I mean, just showed that off, really. Yeah, for sure. So let's do a run through match by match. Brum, did you manage to watch the pre-show or did you skip? No, I didn't watch the pre-show. So I'll have a silver star, not a gold star. (laughs) Downgrade. Okay, so Josh, did you want to talk us through Nathan Frey's Leon, Veroz and Dragon Lee against Metaphor, Noam Dar, Jakara Jackson, Lash Legend and Aura Mensa? Yeah, I feel like, and I said it to you offline, Ross, I feel like all eight people in this match have got their characters and their roles, like, spot on. Some of them aren't, like, the most experienced wrestlers. Some of them aren't, like, the best wrestlers. And then you've got Dragon Lee, who's just ridiculous. 
I feel like everyone's got a really good grasp of their character, which helps. I was quite pleasantly surprised how much the crowd were into this one as well. And in terms of the match itself, I thought it was great. I think Noam came in and did his bit. It's a very put-together group, but I feel like they've done such a good job in telling the story. And Noam's just great, isn't he? In and out of the ring, he's fantastic. And I was thinking throughout this match how good Dragon Lee was, and he was the one who got the pin. So I feel like they booked it great. I've only got positive things to say about this, and I'm very thankful, Ross, that you told me to go out my way to watch this one. Yeah, it went 10 minutes. They got plenty of time in the pre-show. That was actually kind of around about the same time that every other match other than the main event got. So they got plenty of time to tell their story. And I was massively impressed with the women in this one. I know that the men can do great things. I've seen them all do excellent things in NXT UK in particular and New Japan for Dragon Lee. But I really was impressed with Leon Feroz, Jackson and Legend here. Legend and Jackson were jokes. I think rubbing off the character work that Noam Dar does... Is perfect for these two. <laughs> he seems to be able to give them the kind of creativity character-wise to be that sort of lovable but kind of annoying <laughs> heel that they are. And then Leon and Faroz, tell you what, the amount of talent that they can churn out in this PC, you had Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro move up to the main roster and they feel like they're going to fit that mold of fun, fast, action-packed tag team wrestling that they left previous and they're going to slot straight in and yeah they probably don't have the love from the crowd yet because they haven't been featured as much but matches like this are going to really help that springboard dive thing that leon did to the outside was huge the height she got on that incredible really really enjoyed it and i think that the metaphor group is going to be really helpful for noam dar it was a massive loss i think that he lost shah samuels from his character from nxt uk that worked so well but it was probably a bit too british to translate over to the us and i think that this group is going to get noam dar way over and i'm looking forward to seeing how far he can go in nxt uk as i've been a huge fan of him conman did you manage to see this match at all i didn't but i'm glad to hear that metaphor lost <laughs> yeah sorry mate i mean i thought New stable, guaranteed point there. No. No. <laughs> the random collection of people. <laughs> so let's talk about something that you did watch then, Coleman, which was the tag team championship match between the family and Gallus, a match that had an incredible build with swerves and double turns and <laughs> police cells and <laughs> kidnap. <laughs> and a family celebration and <laughs> everything in between. And it all paid off with new tag team champions, the family, Tony D'Angelo and Channing Stax Lorenzo, your new champs. Yeah, I'm glad that came in because I thought that would happen. And I think it was time to make a change. And it was a sprint. I know you guys have got hotter thoughts than me, I think, about the actual match. It was a sprint and they got in and got out and did all their shit. I just really liked uh, the new Gallus top, the, the football top that Joe was wearing. I thought that was yep. class. Like a retro Celtic cup, wasn't it? Very much so. It was like the uh, Thomas, what was his name? The bold guy. Thomas yeah. Gravison. Thomas Gravison era, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the hot take that you spoke of, I think I'll let Josh have this one. So I'll be honest, I find Gallus a bit boring. They come up and they're just like, oh, for me. But this match totally proved me wrong in the sense that it wasn't a typical Gallus-type match. I thought it was great. Like you said, Ross, pretty much most of the matches other than the main event on this show had not that much time or not as much as you see on the main roster pay-per-view, for example. But I thought they absolutely made the most of it. The crowd were into it. And yeah, as we said, I think it really did have the right finish for a number of reasons. I think his storyline's been fantastic. 
yeah, I think it was the right time to make a change. So, yeah, only got positive to say about this match. Absolutely. Same here. And we'll end on Brum. What's your thoughts on seeing Gallus, I think, for the first time in a long time? Oh, I'll caveat that. I'm a massive casual, like sort of string vest level casual for NXT. But Ross was hyping this card a bit, so I was like, go on, I'll watch it. And this was the first match I watched, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me, Ross? You've... <laughs> It doesn't help that Josh said Gallus are a bit boring. I mean, I'd go a lot further than that. Just zero interest in them. Yeah, just don't get anything out of that stable. (laughs) So are you going to say that's a four-star match? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. We've got ourselves a weapons wild match, a match that was happening because there was a lot of backstage attacks. There was an attack in a supermarket. There there was so much fun in the build up to this, to the point where the only way that they could settle it was with weapons. And there was a fun little story trope here of Roxanne Perez being in her home state and her little sister and her mum being front row. And a little caveat, I think that those two did a great job of selling the mixture of happiness and fear for their family member. Sometimes when people from outside the business get brought in to do that job, sometimes it comes across really hammy. But I thought both of them did a pretty good job there. And we had ourselves a 11-minute match, which finished with a table spot and chair spot. And I thought that both of these wrestlers came across really well in this match and used the stipulation as a plus rather than a negative. What was your thoughts on it, Coman? I didn't have anything too hot, but I completely agree with you on the family members. I thought they were fantastic. They added a level of drama to it that I wasn't sure was going to be there. Again, I'm not as casual as Brum, but I am a half-in, half-out guy with NXT. I don't watch it weekly, but I try and keep up with it when I can. And it's been hard to with the G1, so I kind of missed a bit. So I knew this feud was going on before because Blair Davenport's been just wrecking people in the car park. And I thought it was really fun. It lasted the appropriate amount of time. The finish was very emphatic. They did some cool spots. It was probably exactly what I thought it would be. So nothing to add here apart from really good work, girls. Nice. Josh, your thoughts? So I might have said it before on the podcast, but up until maybe a few weeks ago, I've not really been a fan of this happy-go-lucky Roxanne Perez character. And I think she's really needed this view to pick her up the arse a little bit. I think Blair Davenport, you kind of know what you're going to get. As Comman's just said, she comes in, just beats people up, basically. She's really tough and she's really nasty. And I think she pulls off that act pretty well. But I think they've really needed this for Roxanne because I think, what was it? She had like an anxiety attack. Yeah. When, yeah. I get that that's a storyline and it's good to showcase that sort of thing and normalise it. But the way they booked it kind of made it look a bit silly. Yeah, I just think she needed this to toughen her up a bit. I didn't really want her to go full heel. She's a great wrestler. Why would you not like her? But yeah, I think this match accomplished absolutely everything it needed to do. I really liked the table spot. I was kind of worried, particularly because Roxanne's quite light. I was really worried they wouldn't go through it, but they did. They pulled it off and they were really great. So yeah, thumbs up for this as well from me, really. I'm glad that you mentioned that about Roxanne Perez. I mentioned on the Twitter that it feels a bit like they learnt from the mistakes of Bailey on the main roster where yeah. I remember the pay-per-view that it was on. I'm terrible with pay-per-view history and all that sort of stuff, but she wrestled like a hardcore match against Alexa Bliss, I think it was. Was it with the kendo stick where she yeah, was the, like scared the kendo to stick, stick one? Yeah. And I kind of got where they were coming from in terms of Bailey wouldn't particularly want to use the weapon and she chose not to and then lost. But all that that did was kind of tell the main roster fans who hadn't followed her on a journey so brilliantly in NXT that she was a bit of a wimp. And the last thing that you need your baby face to look like is that. So this did exactly, as you said, it toughened her up. It forced her to go into a gear that she's never had to previously. And she came out on top. So I think 
very good job. Well done. How about you, Brom? I thought the match itself was the negative knock on it. I think it was structured in a way where I think what frustrated me about a lot of the noughties WWE hardcore matches where it was jumping from spot to spot rather than feeling like mayhem. I was going to say wild, but considering the match had wild in it, it was probably a bad analogy, but that mayhem (laughs) feeling, this is just a chaotic match, and yeah, there's weapons being used, but it's all part of like a chaotic brawl. It didn't feel like that as much to me. It felt like a bit, oh, well, and now we're doing this, and now we're doing that, and now we're doing this. With that said, I just thought, and this this is no knock on Blair Davenport, she's called now, is it Blair Davenport? I thought she did a cracking job, but Roxanne Perez, she's just charisma in a bottle, isn't she? I think that's what really dragged me on in the match. And it's interesting, even though it's different to Bailey in many ways, they just felt like their kind of pomp, that baby face that you just want to watch and you just want to get behind. And I think they've got magic in a bottle there. And I thought that table spot, the big thing about it was actually just a splash technique, which I just think is really sick. But yeah, like I said, I think there was some structure in which I wasn't a big fan of, but I think that was all really secondary because of just how they really got the character dynamic spot on. And particularly, I just think that, yeah, Roxanne Perez just seems such a intangible charisma which is so important she just seems to exude it bang on love it so the last match that Coleman saw was gable stevenson making his debut against baron corbin which ended in a double count out in six minutes 32 but it seemed to be that it wasn't really about the match at all it was about the post-match brawl which got a lot more reaction well favorable reaction than the match itself which ended in chance of bullshit from some of the crowd Let's quickly talk about Gable Stevenson. So here's my take. I think that this reaction, which is obviously the last thing that they were hoping for, could actually be a very good thing for him because at least now there's something to latch onto with him. Kurt Angle wasn't supposed to be a heel in terms of his character, but he became one because of the crowd reaction. Your thoughts (laughs) on the match then, Josh? Originally, when this match was booked, I thought they were going to kind of Goldberg it in the sense that they were going to get Gable Stevenson to come in, do what he's good at, throw a few suplexes and then win in about two minutes, which they didn't. And I think they booked it the way they did, partly because of what Brum said and partly because obviously they've teased on TV. They're not sure quite what Gable Stevenson's going to do. Is he going to stay in NXT? Is he going to go and wrestle in the amateurs? Is he going to go and wrestle in the Olympics? And I think they've booked it the way they did to leave it open to all possibilities in the sense that they could carry on this feud and have another couple of matches between these two or they could pick it up in a year or so or whatever. But I think you guys have spoken about the reaction. I think that is key. And the thing that got Kurt Angle over was the fact that he could cut a promo and he kind of bought into the character and lent into it. And I think if they can teach him to cut a promo that's, you know, appropriate for his character, I feel like they can use that as a positive. And obviously, I'm not defending his crimes in any way, but if social media and people pick up on it and that gathers momentum, as it probably should, let's be honest, maybe we won't see as much of him. Maybe we'll never see him again. Who knows? But yeah, I think there's a lot more questions and answers from this match, really. I thought Corbin did a great job. I think he's pretty solid. I don't think he does much wrong. He's not that flashy, but I don't think he needs to be for his character. So yeah, not say I didn't like this match. I was just, I was confused by it, I'll be honest. As you two, as the sort of resident WSBF NXT experts, the last stick, I didn't actually see it on a show, but I saw like it online as a vignette. Corbin seemed to go back to NXT and do a thing where he was burning off his old characters and it seemed to be stepping up to a rebirth of him as a character. I don't know if he's done anything sort of between then and now, but is this kind of an odd move having him in this role when it looks like he's got a particular arc that they're planning or have I just misread that from watching one? I'm not sure what Ross thinks. I couldn't tell you what Baron Corbin's character is at the minute, I'll be honest with you. So maybe there will be more vignettes and it'll become more obvious what the character's intentions are. I don't know what you think about it, Ross. 
Well, I put a little tweet out when I was watching this live of Baron Corbin was obviously getting cheered for this match, which was largely because of who he, he was in the ring with. I don't think it's anything that his character's been doing. But I found it really interesting that he was getting these cheers and it made me think that, yeah, he's now gone into this no gimmicks needed character where he's dropped all of his previous pseudonyms. And is there room for him to become a bit of a Von Wagner? And we get to know the real him and he becomes a bit of a babyface. And if that's the case, it could well be the thing that turns his career around a bit because he's never really been a babyface. And if the fans get behind him, he's got the size, he's got the history, he's got the gravitas to become a potential NXT champion and then move back into the main roster like the likes of Dream McIntyre did back in the day. So, yeah, very interesting to see where he goes with the character. A quick one, guys, before we wrap up on this one. I've got a hot trivia fact about this one. Do you know, on an NXT pay-per-view, PLE, whatever you want to call them, there was a first time ever in this match. Do you know what that is? Oh, um, no, I don't know. First ever double count out. Ah. Oh, yeah. History was made. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I think that the count out worked. I think that the story was the post-brawl stuff. And I think that the crowd were actually quite into the post-brawl stuff. So let's see where it goes on Tuesday, I guess. Hmm. Next up, we had probably the most over heel in WWE today. You've got yourself Dirty Don Mysterio with Rhea Ripley in tow up against Wesley and Mustafa Ali in a trouble threat for the North American Championship in a match that I think was an absolute riot to watch. Interested to hear the takes on this match from Brum as someone who hasn't really seen much of Dom and Rhea as a pair, I guess, since Mania. Yeah, I think this was very pacey, triple threat match. A little bit paint by numbers, but actually I think probably credit to the people involved is just how much I actually enjoyed it, despite it being a little bit paint by numbers in that way. I know this is the coldest take in the world, but it's just absolutely bonkers after what everyone thought of Dominic Mysterio initially, just how he is comfortably one of the hottest characters in the company. Even just not on this, but like the little backstage interaction with Dragon Lee and everything around it, it just feels like that act is <laughs> absolutely bouncing. As me as a bit of a casual, I thought, oh, are they just going to use this match to have him drop it? So I actually thought it was interesting that they didn't go that route. And I've not seen, and I know Wesley has a really hyped run, doesn't he? And I've not seen enough of him as a singles wrestler, but yeah, I think I see why, where all the hype's been. He was massively protected in this match. So he had the belt shot, he had the <laughs> riptide for a table, he had the 450, and he still didn't lose the match. <laughs> Absolutely mental. So he was massively protected. The people who constantly say, you know, he's lost two matches in a row, so he's buried, obviously wrong. <laughs> Mustafa Ali... On the same point, had the match won and was hauled outside the ring. So he's protected. And then Dirty Dom wins being a dirty man. It was absolutely perfect, if you ask me. And I just want to say that Dominic and Rhea, two young people in wrestling, let's not forget, Rhea's only 26, I think. They've absolutely morphed into two people that know their characters so well. They've got this insane chemistry together. And their charisma just drips off the screen as a pair, which, as Bram alluded to recently, when you think of Dom, where he was 2022 even, or start of 2023, absolutely turned his character around. Him joining the Judgment Day has been an absolute joy. And the fact that he holds on to the title means I think that I'm going to probably predict that Finn Balor wins the title on Saturday and Judgment Day rule supreme. Josh, what was your thoughts on this match? 
pretty much what you said, mate. I thought this was absolutely perfection. Perfect in every single way. This was as good as it could have possibly been. I think, as you guys have said, all the roles were played by everyone perfectly. I too, I think I did put Wesley in my pickums. Again, for the reasons that Brum said, I thought, yeah, let's get Dominic Mysterio, the hottest heel in WWE. Let's get him on NXT for a bit, a few eyes on that belt, get it on Raw, get it on SmackDown. And then goes back to Wesley as if nothing happened. But no, they're keeping it going. They're putting Dominic Mysterio up against Dragon Lee, which I cannot believe I'm saying out loud. So that'll be something. I just think everyone in this match is great, what they do. I really do. And my cold take, this might be a cold take, I'm not sure, Ross, but I think Wesley, whenever the time comes, I think he might be the next NXT champion. That you could be right there, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I just think he's super over and he's really good. The crowd reactions, every single show for him are massive. And... I know we went through that phase where his tag team weren't popular for different reasons, but I think he's come out of that, which was a pretty bad situation all around for pretty much everyone involved. And the run of Wesley, he's just been absolutely amazing. And he was great with the title. He's been great since he's been chasing it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. Well, in terms of Ross's point about people saying he's been buried, it's the only match he's lost on an NXT PLE pay-per-view, whatever you want to call them. Wow. He's eight and one. <laughs> buried. Yeah, that was his... He just lost his undefeated streak. And as he said, he didn't actually take the cover, did he? Yep, loved it. Another hot trivia fact for you from this match. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll shut up with my hot trivias. Mustafa Ali broke a record on this pay-per-view. He had the longest wait time between an NXT debut and a NXT pay-per-view slash PLE appearance almost seven years. Wow, that is a great trivia. He's a stat man. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to actually ask you, Brum, as someone who's, as you say, a string vest NXT wearer, what's your thoughts on the free agency now in WWE where the main roster guys are having their spell in NXT to make use of them and to get the rub for the new guys coming through? Do you think it's working? Well, I think Josh touched on it from a different angle earlier when he talked about it's more of a developmental show now. I think if it was black and gold era, I think you can have one or two. You can maybe the odd one of that. And it sort of works as coming back and having a match and doing some of their character there. And it can work, but you won't want too much of it because it's already quite a deep roster. I think because this has a lot more traditional developmental work going on, I think it does feel a more positive place for people to come back and either do a bit of rehabbing or give some rubs around. (laughs) Freezing. (laughs) I can a bit dodgy, but you know what I mean. I do think because of that dynamic, I think it does work. Yeah, definitely. And we move on to the NXT Women's Championship match between Tiffany Stratton and Thea Hale, who I did my trivia bit of math here as I was watching last night. A combined age of 43. That's mad, isn't it? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so this match was a submission match, which was brilliantly set up with Andre Chase being away from Chase U for a time being and the likes of Drew Gulak and Chatty Charlie being invited into the training camp by Duke Hudson and them getting to grips on Thea Hale in training and teaching her some badass submissions and making her be a bit more tough and a bit more of a tough cookie. And it played into a little feud with them. And then it also made Thea Hale a bit of a submission expert with the Kimura Lock in particular being her submission of choice. And she managed to get a rematch out of Tiffany by putting the Kimura Lock and asking for the match whilst having her in the lock, (laughs) which was a lot of fun. 
And Tiffany, of course, someone that uses the perfect moonsault as her finish. So she had to go outside her wheelhouse. So it kind of pointed towards being in the favor of Thea Hale here. But of course, she is also very inexperienced with just 19 years of age. So there was a really fun storyline with a lot of hope given to the hero that she could go on and win her first ever NXT Women's Championship match. But sadly, in this match, the storyline was that whilst in a half crab, Andre Chase, the leader of Chase University, did throw in the towel. And we had a little bit of friction between Andre and Duke Hudson, which has obviously been played from the very first time that Duke Hudson joined Chase U. So that's going to be a nice little storyline now moving on with Thea Hale and Tiffany Stratton can move on to a new feud. So that was the story. But how did you guys find the match? Let's start with Brom. Yeah, I mean, NXT does have a lot of silly stuff coming into it for a casual, but I just absolutely lap this up. I think it's not Masawa Kawada this match. I think we can probably say that. <laughs> but I think as developmental talents, it was a bag of fun. By the way, I find the Chase U stuff endearing anyway, but just seeing like Harlem Bravado in that character is <laughs> on face, it just tickles me. <laughs> Going back to late 90s ROH or whatever. It's great to see him doing well. That all stuff was good. But interestingly, what I said about Roxanne Perez earlier, but Thea Hale as well, just so charismatic that I think if she sticks at it, I think could be a real star because there was definitely something there, like her entrance and the little vignettes and everything about it. There is definitely something there. She's like super entertaining. And that whole stable, even for someone who was super casual, I found it super interesting. Tiffany Stratton feels probably a tad green to be a champion. But with that said, I think considering the match, she held it, did it well. And I really like the finish. So, yeah, enjoyed this one. Good to hear, good to hear. And I'm assuming that as you're the biggest Chase U <laughs> fan in the world, Josh, that you enjoyed this, even with the sad end. Yeah, so just to give the listeners a little bit of insight, I've not been having the best of time at the moment. And this very much felt like WWE had said to me, no worries, Josh, we'll book Thea Hale versus Tiffany Stratton on a big show and they'll both go as over the top in their gimmicks with their entrances as possible. And I absolutely loved every second of it. I was particularly pleased that something that I alluded to to you, Ross, about Andre Chase being the one to turn instead of Duke, not in the way I originally thought, but I think this kind of leads into that because obviously Duke's the more like heelish, dickish one. But I think he's become quite endearing in the sense that he's given Thea that tough elder brother kind of love type thing recently. And I'm really interested to see what pathway they go down with the finish. As much as in my heart, I'd love Thea to win. I think it's probably the right finish. Tiffany's great. I think she can carry on with this title run for a while. I agree with Brum. It's not the finished article, but again, it's developmental. These are two very young women. So yeah, only positive to say about this, really. Looking forward to where it goes for Tiffany and who's next on that. And as a big Chase U fan, as you've said, kind of tentatively quite nervous about the future for Chase U, to be honest. Interesting that you seem to think that Andre Chase could well be the heel by throwing in the towel. When I watched it, I kind of got the impression that maybe they're going to go down the route of Duke Hudson and Andre Chase are going to have a bit of a feud for the right to be the leader of Chase U. And potentially Duke wins and turns it into a bit more of a hardened university than the campy silliness that Andre Chase does. And I think that if you put Thea Hale in a submission match with a submission specialist, even bringing in someone like Shayna Baszler, where they train her up and they get Gulak and they get Chatty Charlie to help her out and everything. Then she's in like the sleeper and she doesn't tap out and it's Duke then that has the duty of care with the towel and he doesn't do it. And then... 
she gets like a stretcher job and it becomes like a big thing. And then Andre Chase comes back as like the hero. Yeah, I threw in the towel, but I did it as a care of duty. There's always plenty more matches. That's where I thought that they were going with it. But it's interesting that you think potentially Chase is going to be the heel because he could also easily be the heel in terms of his character work because he's so good when he turns (laughs) angry in the university. (laughs) I just think it's great that we're having this kind of discussion about an NXT storyline, which wasn't really the case for a little while. But I think the fact that this can go so many different ways and there's so many different dynamics in it and the fact that all three main characters in this are massive personalities. I just think it's a great indictment of NXT at the moment, really. Where would you rather see the storyline go there, Brom? I guess it's hard for me. Um, phrasing? Because as a casual, I don't watch week to week as much. But I think sometimes when you've got stables and tag teams, we focus too much on breakups and not actually, well, this is working. How do we milk it? And it might be that we've just been seeing loads of great stuff from these guys already, and now it's time to do that. As someone that hasn't seen of it, I'd probably want to see more of the act rather than moving into the end game. But again, that's me as, as like I said, a drawstring vest. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's notable as well, Ross, just before we move on, the fact that obviously they've had these two matches now. And the first one, Thea got rolled up after the thing with the submission. And then the second one, obviously this has happened and she didn't actually tap out or she didn't submit herself. So I think yeah. it's interesting that they're protecting Thea and maybe way down the line, maybe Thea wins it eventually from Tiffany. I don't know. There was the call from Vic Joseph, wasn't there, of did Stratton tap? And there was a slight movement, wasn't there? So they could play on that yet again. But there's plenty of chat about the NXT Women's Championship. So let's move on to the men's, the main event. The match that went 24 minutes in total, almost double everything else. And it was Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams against Ilya Dragunov in a match that was built based really off Trick Williams kind of... (laughs) trying to stand up to Dragunov and Hayes trying to explain that this is a battle of respect, whereas Trick Williams doesn't really give Dragunov any and Dragunov certainly doesn't give Trick Williams any. So this was a match that was face versus face. And my take on it was that I found it really interesting in that almost every Dragunov match that I watched, the brilliance of it is seeing him suffer physically and then overcoming it. Whereas here, he was the guy that was giving out most of the suffering. So you're kind of putting a new bow onto him a little bit because it's something that he doesn't really do, be like the guy on top. So we're just done with phrasing, right? That's not a thing anymore. And then Hayes had to fight from underneath and be the guy to kind of overcome Dragunov, which makes him look hard as hell as well. So I think production-wise, in terms of this match, whoever did it, I think was spot on with the idea behind it. And I think that, that the two wrestlers in the ring executed it brilliantly. And the crowd built and built and built it started off quite slow and by the end they were biting on every single massive strong hit that Dragunov was doing and the huge counters that Hayes was doing and yeah I absolutely loved it Dragunov slays again he might not win the title in this match I think it was the right call to keep the title on Hayes personally but he's more than ready to be as big a star as he possibly can Dragunov is unreal and Hayes isn't too far behind him what was your thoughts on it Josh? So, yeah, I think going on what you said, this beforehand, I, I mean, I think I had Carmelo as my captain in Pickums. That's how confident I was that this result was going to go the way it did. But I think they did a really great job throughout the match of like, because they got me at least two or three times. Like, oh, my God, Dragon was actually going to win. Because I think from the outset, I think most people kind of assumed that Hayes was going to win. But again, the way they did the match, they did a great job of making you think he might not. And I don't think Dragunov loses a thing from losing this match at all. And I think Carmelo gains an awful lot. So I think from that point of view, it's win-win. I don't really see what's left for Dragunov to do. 
they'll probably get someone else to come out and beat him up now on Tuesday, knowing my luck. I don't really think of anyone obvious straight away. Maybe after this, I'll, I'll think of someone who goes next for Carmelo. But yeah, only positive to say about this, really. I think Carmelo's just great, isn't he? I think he can be as big a star as he wants to be. And the same for Ilya Dragunov, really. I think his in-ring work is up there with the very best in all of WWE, I think. Just touching on what's next for Dragunov, I would love um extended feud with him and Braun Breaker. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Because the Just one match that they had on NXT yeah. was spectacular. <laughs> and Braun Breaker doesn't need the title. So yeah, for me, it works in every single way. Braun, I'm assuming that this was your favourite match on the card. Yeah, it was, it was excellent, wasn't it? That was a your take on it, Ross, was really interesting about it being a slightly different Dragonov match. Because I think there are basically two Dragonov matches, aren't they? There is the underdog Dragonov. So, I mean, obviously, is is the peak of his career has been his matches with Walter, but his match with Dijak was like that. From what I remember, his match with Bron Breaker was like that. Even his kind of his other WXW stuff like. PCO, Absolute Andy, who he fought a couple of times, were Brian Cage in WXWs, also that kind of setup match of proper underdog Ilya. But then his other type of match is the I can outdo you 50 50 type matches. So there's probably a couple of the big ones that I'm missing. Peter, oh, Karen Noir is the classic one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Karen Noir exactly is, is probably the best example of that. But the only two, while you're saying that, I can think of that slightly strayed into that territory where he was more the dominator was A-Kid and Tyler Bate. But I still think you're right. I don't think it was... They were still kind of more the 50-50 type do-you matches. I think this one was more the one where he was dominating more. I think even even in those matches, and, and actually Carmelo's bigger than those two lads that I've just mentioned. But I agree with you. I think this is the, the largest example I've seen of Elia being, probably outside maybe the old squash, but Elia being in that main event match and being more the one kind of dominating control. And But it just worked. Yeah, it was just great. And, and it's weird with Carmel. I've just not seen enough of him. I know he's so hyped. And I don't really know much about him pre-NXT either. Is it, was he something, Casanova was he called? Okay, anyway, yeah, so impressed with this match. Just on the, do you guys think that the that when Dragonov jumped outside, it was the belt shot was supposed to be more explicit? Or yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think that was just great. And as you said, it's, you know, as you guys said, it's it's a cold take, but Elia is just unbelievable. But yeah, I think I'll definitely be checking out a lot more Carmelo matches actively after this as well because he did his job really well. I think the only thing is a bit of a casual. And you guys sort of touched on some of the nuances as well with the storyline and everything. But the heel face dynamic was a, a little bit not strange, but I just probably didn't quite fully get my teeth into the exact heel face relationship between the two of them and the, the character interface with the two of them in rank. It didn't quite get through, but that's purely on me, just probably being a casual fan and not getting all the subtleties around it. But it didn't stop it being a stone cold banger. Yeah, big time. And in summary, I felt that this came across as a bit of a old school NXT takeover back in a big arena, back at a two and a half hour quick six matches, nothing terrible. I really feel that Sunday was an opportunity for NXT with so much wrestling on. I think that this would have done a great job for people that are a little bit like Brum. He's just said there that he's going to potentially watch a few more Carmelo matches, for example. And that main event, ending on that main event was perfect in terms of that, because 
that was your your black and gold match. That was your match that is going to get excitement from the work rate guys like Brum. And add into that the character work from some of the other wrestlers that Brum was enjoying on the show. Hopefully they've done a fair amount. They're getting ratings back up to where it was in peak black and gold. So that is the end of episode 102 for the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. Do you have anything to plug, Josh? Not so much, really. I've got my blog, nobody'sready.com. Uh, I've been doing a WWE 2K23 universe mode where I incorporate clips of the matches from my PS4 into the blog so you can watch all them. That's just a bit of fun I do. I review the odd show on that on my blog every now and then. So yeah, go follow that. There's lots of wrestling coming up on TV. There's lots of wrestling that we can actually go to, which will be nice. So yeah, now's the time. I think we're in a pretty good spot for wrestling in general, I think, at the minute. There's something for everyone. And I think this NXT show was a good example of that, actually. Well said, mate. Well said. And Brian, was there anything that you wanted to plug or mention about happening in wrestling in the next week or so? I, I was going to plug white-based pizzas. I'm not interested in tomato-based pizzas anymore. I find them really boring. Well, actually, <laughs> I think you can just, if you want to order, or if you, especially if you're a place with like a fancy pizza place that does build your own, or you want to make it at, at home, I'd recommend sort of like a double mozzarella because you need to make sure that you, you deal with the tomato issue. Aubergine. Uh, like a parmesan breadcrumb and a little bit of truffle oil. And I think you'll have a great time. <laughs> I have to admit that the um, white bread pizza at Pizza Union is very good. Maybe we figured <laughs> out what we want on our um, wrestling kind of carts now. I'd eat <laughs> yes. a pizza in the ballroom. That'd be great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that is actually a really good specific shout. Yeah, the P- Pizza Union white baser is a good one, isn't it, Ross? Very good. Very good. So thanks for the recommendation, and we expect everyone to go out and buck tomatoes. <laughs> I thought they should be fun. <laughs> so socials, you can find us at Wrestling Should Be Fun everywhere, other than Twitter, where we are WSBFUN. So don't forget to look after your mates and drink lots of water. See ya, pals. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun.